podcast where I, Danny, and my co-host Nick argue about our often opposed taste in film and in the process discover more about the wonderful world of cinema. Today we have a battle for the ages, men, men versus women. But before we delve in, Nick, how are you? Um, I'm no longer going by Nick. Uh, I've, I'm <laughs> legally changing my name to Ace Wilfong, <laughs> uh, which... Is is now the name which I'm going to go by for the rest of my life because what a name! Uh, we'll get I into know, right? we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, if if you're not catching the reference, don't worry. We we'll, we we'll, we will get into it. Um, but <laughs> yes, yeah, we will. Yeah, no, I'm doing good. Uh, this one has I, I some I I don't know what happened. Whether you had some sort of lapse in judgment, uh, whether you completely forgot who you were and what you were actually saying at the time. Uh, I'm not saying I took advantage of you, but some people may argue that. Well, who took advantage of whom? Because (laughs) I made you watch three movies instead of one. I think you you guilt-tripped me into doing that. Oh, I see. Okay. I did... Um, we'll get into into our reasoning uh, for for this episode, but yeah, I thought I was curious to be to be honest. I was very curious I, to, I think, to I think see what, I th- your movie. I think what happened was you you put on some jungle red uh, nail polish, you fluttered your eyelids, <laughs> and that was it. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, bearing in mind that we almost never see each other, yeah, that worked. <laughs> Okay, um, shall we delve in? Let's, let's, let's do that, yeah. Let's do that. So, women. We start with women because why, why, why shouldn't we, right? I thought you were going to do the whole women were better thing, and I thought, Are we, I'm not, well, let's not do the battle of sexes no, thing. No, 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 no. Um, chronologically speaking. Oh, chronologically let's, let's speaking. Yeah, that's what we do. That is right? what we do. Yeah, that's what we do. Okay. So the first film is from 1939, directed by George Cukor. And it's called The Women, starring Norma Shearer, Rosalind Russell, Russell, John Crawford, John Fontaine, Paulette Goddard, and many, many others. Here's a quick synopsis. A study of the lives and romantic entanglements of various interconnected women. What did you think of the women, Nick? So I've got the the letterboxed uh, synopsis in front of me, and it says, A happily married woman lets her catty friends talk her into divorce when her husband strays. I... so... (laughs) Hmm. This 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 movie right so started off and I was it took me uh, it took me a little bit of a long time like a good five ten minutes for me to adjust to the pace and to how the dialogue and ha- is being thrown at you and once I kind of got accustomed to that it really really helped you know because it, it you know when I put this on I was like two hours wow Danny it's not like you to give me a two hour long movie. You know, usually I'm the one that's you know giving giving you the 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 hundred twenty minute plus thing. Um, yeah. 
And I was like, okay, right. Oh, I'm going to have to really you know, sit here and concentrate. You know, two hours is a long time, you know, for, for, you know, like watching something new and trying to pay attention to it for a podcast. And I got to say, it went by, it, it went by so quickly. Um, I thought it was really well acted, really well directed. And it's a few interesting things I just really want to just bring up um, before I talk about um, so the, the, the cast. Um, it's one thing I've noticed with George Cukor films. So I've seen Camille, this, Adam's Rib, and Star is Born, the Judy Garland one, and yes. the What Price Hollywood, which was the film that became Star is Born. Um, yes. And let's say one thing I've kind of noticed with his movies is that it's his blocking of the actors and kind of letting a scene play out as he does. Yeah. It's really, really, really well done. And here it shows it's even better. It's even, I think it's probably the best one of the films I've seen of his in terms of that. I mean, I think Star is Born is the better movie, but I think this is like the better directed film i think there's a lot more purpose okay. around what he's doing with the actresses because i think what the, the you know the, the thing about this film is that it's all actresses it's all women basically and i think here you've got even though you know even though this is my first time watching a normal shira film or was at the time and you've still got her against joan crawford rosalind russell you know, joan fontaine's there paulette goddard it 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 just feels as though like this is like a very it's like a heavyweight movie. It's you know, and you need to have somebody behind the camera is allowing these this talent to really kind of play out, and it it does an excellent job of of doing that. I felt. Yeah, here's a question for you. Yeah, do you know which movie was Q Court fired from? to direct that allowed him to direct this movie and Th here, the hint is a film that we had on the podcast 39 is it 39 mm-hmm is it Ninochka no uh that was a good guess though um bigger mm, bigger than Ninochka oh, okay uh my mind's going blank so you're gonna have to gone with the wind Really? Hmm. So he got fired from Gone with the Wind? Yeah. And then Because Clark up... Gable... Because Cukor was was a gay director and Clark Gable didn't want him. He wanted oh, Victor okay. Fleming. And uh, because he was always considered a women's director, as you can see here, he just let women just be themselves, more or less. Just, you know, not really be themselves, but just play to their strengths. And secretly, he was coaching Vivian Lee and Olivia de Havilland after he got fired from. I think you told you said this on the um, yeah on our Gone with the yeah Wind I think episode. I might have I think I might have because we spent two hours talking about that film so two, two and a, two and a half hours up. talking about that movie two and a half hours so that might that that might have come up uh, yeah so he um, he was very good at giving women direction and he was he was more like an actor's director. He he could get really good strong performances from his actors. 
but someone like Clark Gable, whom I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in 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 a minute, <laughs> uh, did not appreciate his style. He wanted more of a man's director, uh, which wow. Victor Fleming was. Okay. That's right. But you know, we got we got the women. We got a bit of Cukor's direction in Gone with the Wind, so we we kind of got both the best of both worlds, so to speak. Yeah. I guess, you know, I I really kind of I'm noticing like when I you know watched this and and saw Kuka's name come up, it was like okay, you know, I I'm not I'm not saying I I kind of know what I'm in for. It's just like I I kind of knew what to kind of expect. Somebody who's kind of lets the actors really kind of play out and do their mm-hmm. own thing. Um. So yeah, the, the the so I don't really want to go straight into the cast, but it's really difficult because that's already the main thing. I. So this was my first Norma Shearer uh, at the time, and you made me very aware before watching this that this was almost this was against type for her. Uh, this yeah, was against, this was not really what she was known for. And in preparation for this, you wanted me to watch uh, a couple of movies. One of which we I watched we watched because we were like we're we're, we're not going to be able to get it on the podcast. And then, spoiler alert, we're going to be having it in a few weeks. And because we both of us have got memories like sieves, and then the other one was uh, a free soul from 1931, uh, which is a Clarence Brown picture, and um, that one. So, because <sighs> I, w- I watched that last night, yeah. free soul, free soul, I found to be a really interesting watch in terms of watching it in in in, in what Norma Shearer is doing. Uh, rather than the actual film itself. So Clarence Brown, uh, for those that don't know, I mean, I mean, Danny knows this, is that I kind of went through a, a thing of watching a load of Greta Garbo movies a while ago, and uh, he directed uh, one of my fa- one of my favorite ones and two others, it's, which are pretty yeah. good. I mean, yeah, one <laughs> of them. It's hard not to. Great. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard not to have it not to have it as a favorite film because of those two scenes that I yeah. just, you know, they're imprinted in my brain. So you've got, you've got Anna Christie, which is the one where Garbo talks. How have we done this? How have we, how have we started a podcast talking about Norma Shearer and yet we've ended up talking about Greta Garbo. So we have Anna Christie, which is Garbo talks, which is uh, what you've made me aware is an adaptation of a stage play. And that film very much kind of feels like an adaptation of a stage play. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it, theatrically that's what it feels like uh a women of affairs i i didn't say i didn't care for it but it was you know john gilbert and greta garbo and that film is not as good as the other john gilbert greta garbo movie flesh and the mm-hmm. devil which if we if we're talking about movies about romance that make you feel hot the, under the clodder that's definitely top tier it's probably the sexiest silent film i've ever seen <laughs> it's it's certainly something. I mean, that James McAvoy gif with him sweating and doing the doing the paper. <laughs> and what and what a free soul feels like is it feels mm. as though if it, it feels it feels as though like I'm watching that thinking ah oh, I don't mean wrong. Norma Shearer is really good, and I thought you know Clark Gable for once I actually like a Clark Gable performance. Um, I think it's just a bit. Something's a bit off with it. It seems a bit kind of off in terms of its um what do you what do you call it? 
<laughs> like how 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 it presents its its plot, it just seems a bit conflicted. It's not really kind of what sure what mean? it really wants to do. It, it doesn't. It, the film just doesn't really sure whether it wants to do whether it's do the courtroom drama stuff or whether it wants to double down okay. on the romance. It kind of feels a bit kind of a little bit all over the place. Whereas Flesh and the Devil, that was like romance, bang, straight off the bat, you know. And yeah. it, that's what really really worked about it. Uh, a free okay. soul with with Norma Shearer. I thought you know, sh- yeah. I mean. She was something That's else, really. Yeah. She was something else, and <laughs> it wasn't just—it wasn't the just the way she is. looked. Because the yeah, I was just going to bring that up. There's there's the thing where she she sat at a dinner table and she's you know she's wearing this dress, but you don't really notice it because there's the birthday cake. It's very much a scene with a cast of actors, and then she stands up and starts walking around and is wearing that white dress for a good. 15, 20 minutes after the movie, you know, after that scene or 10 minutes or so after that scene, you know, different scenes and stuff. And that white dress. Oh, wow. Uh, how, <laughs> how, how, how did, how did they uh, get away with that? Because I'm not, I don't, I don't really know much about women's fashion, but that to me doesn't really come across as a dress that you wear out to places. It's more like <laughs> a, a nightgown, as it were. Doesn't leave much to the imagination. Um... Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think some of the um, uh, reviews at the time they said something like you can't get away with wearing that in your drawing room to any <laughs> female audience members. She was um, quite something, wasn't she? Yeah, the the thing with Norma is that I messaged you, I messaged you after one watching Free Soul, and I said well, the thing with Norma Shearer is that her face is like the prom picture of Laura Palmer to to go back to when we were talking about Twin Peaks almost. Is the is the prom picture of Laura Palmer where it's like that's the that's the image of the all American you know her, yeah. her, uh, what do you call it the homecoming queen you know it's this perfect image mm. and yet you go underneath the surface and there's a whole lot more underneath and that's basically Norma Shearer in this in a free soul and in the other movie you got me to watch is that there's a whole lot more under the under the under the surface underneath that kind of that image that her face kind of gives it's not really a face that it's not like joan crawford's face where you're looking at joan crawford and thinking yeah there's there's definitely some some you know mischievous troublesome going on there same with rosalind russell as well her face is very much kind of the same kind of thing uh norma shearer is like it her face doesn't really doesn't really give you that sense straight away so when she starts when in a free soul when she's so very outwardly sexual and outwardly uh, 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 not ashamed of of what she wants to do. It's quite it's it's quite shocking. And with the other movie, which we're going to get into in a few weeks, I don't really want to talk about that too much. But you definitely you see it there in 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 it is a better movie that the other movie is a better movie than Freezer, and we we don't we definitely see it there much more successfully. So when we go back to to the women, and you're saying to me, oh. Norma Shearer, that this is very much like against her type. You know, I'm thinking, what do you mean like, against her type? She's really good in this. Like, you know, she's she seems ashamed that you know she's uh, cheated on her husband, and and you know, like mm. it's it's all, almost like you know she's uh, <laughs> ashamed of what she's she's gone through, and like yeah, you know, the thing is, the thing is, uh, when I when we program this episode I had 
forgotten that we hadn't we hadn't discussed Norma Shearer's career on the podcast. So I felt like it was a bit of an, an oversight on my part, which is why I've asked you to to do the to watch those two other films. Because those two films are pre-codes, 1930, 1931, respectively. And they are very important films in terms of female emancipation, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, and, and, you know, equality. And we do know that then the production code came into force and kind of destroyed everything, more or less. But still, Norma Shearer was more of a pioneer in this because she was the first to to be daring enough to say, listen, we let's do away with the double standard because there's no point. Women can enjoy sex as much as, as men can, um, sometimes even more so. So why can't we talk about it? Why can't we just let women be sexual beings as well? And that's why you see in A Free Soul, you see Norma Shearer openly lusting after Clark Gable, even though he's a gangster and he's got all these bad qualities and she's like i, mean, I don't care I'm, i want to have a bit of fun what's wrong I mean, with having would, a bit of fun why would she care his name is ace wilfong <laughs> yeah right so yeah when i when we agreed to talk about the women it just felt like i was doing her a bit of a disservice because film historians agree that norma Shaw was kind of left behind when in the from the conversation of the greatest screen actresses of all time because you had you know you had Greta garbo you had john crawford you had betty davis you had Catherine Hepburn, Barbara Stanwyck, and they went, you know, their career soared in the 40s. But Norma Shearer kind of retired after after 42, a bit like Garbo, but Garbo had, well, I don't know what she had. She had something else. I still don't know what she had. It was I don't something. think anybody knows what she had. It was, you know... Just I mean, like, that's some, something we may or may not discuss in a future thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Norma Shearer was was you know like you say, she was like the America's sweetheart, so to speak. But she had this extra quality to her as well. Where you know she was a bit mischievous, but still the face of an angel, like you know homecoming queen. But for future generations, she was associated with being really goody two shoes and i kind of wanted to sort of take that out and just present her as as this wholesome not wholesome like more multi-layered performer as we see her in in a free soul so we kind of i I sort of sneakily added another film on top of the women so we're talking about free soul as well as the women because it's just kind of like two sides of the same coin so she's this good girl you know, respectable. She's very res- respectable, Norma Shearer is. She was married to Irvin Thalberg until his death in 1937. You know, she was the queen of MGM, even though, I mean, the real queen of MGM was Garbo, obviously. But Norma Shearer was the other queen. So there were like a two, you know, she would get the to choose the, the pro- projects that she wanted and f- to the... Frustration of John Crawford, <laughs> because I mean, John Crawford, yeah, John Crawford wanted to wanted to to play some of the parts that Norma Shearer got, and she was a bit frustrated with her because she saw that because she was sleeping with the producer, she was married to the producer of MGM, Thalberg, she had the advantage. So yeah, 
that's why I, I kind of went like let's let's just watch a bit more Norma Shearer because she's important in terms of like the history of, of cinema. I think maybe that's kind of one of the I mean, you know, we we positioned this episode at the start as being this is, you know, men and you know, men versus women, men and women kind of thing. I think another way yeah. to position it is a perception of you know, somebody in, uh, you know, a, a, an icon, say an icon, yeah, an icon. I'm going to go, I'm using yeah, the I word, yeah. an icon in Hollywood. So you're saying she for, was. for you, for you, you know, your the perception, the modern really perception of Norma Shearer is now really is that she, the name really doesn't hold up really in popular consciousness as much as Barbara Steinberg, as much as Greg Garber, as much as Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. And yeah. also the other perception of her is that very much the goody goody two shoes whereas you know like we you know we she have, had yeah whereas you know we, we had, have examples where uh, she's not done that you know she... yeah so she because in the late 30s early 40s she had all these costume dramas like marie antoinette and romeo and juliet and and um the women as an example so she kind of felt to future audiences that she was playing it safe and she was like this aura of respectability and just you know the wife not the mistress not a sexual being whereas if you look if you sort of dial back a bit and dig dig deeper you can see that she was a trailblazer before i mean in terms of pre-codes films norma shearer was the queen of pre-codes if you think about it because her movies had substance and it was not just you know a bit of nudity and a bit of like fallen like you know loose women just being loose women you had a good narrative you had good films there and i know you you feel that uh, a free soul is a bit disjointed but i think it was a good film and we'll talk about the other film um later on and we can dissect that as well and yeah, delve a bit further into Norma's career because I think she had a brilliant career. She was very, very smart and very ambitious. Someone asked her once, uh, "How did how did she become a star?" And she's like, "Just I just wanted to." She just wanted to, and she became a star. She worked very hard at it because she had, uh, I think, she had a lazy eye. Really? So you I kind of you yeah. Really don't, I don't really didn't really notice that. No, but she. I mean, there was a lot of uh, there were. I, think I mean, even, to be fair, um, I'm not really concentrating on Norma Shearer's <laughs> eyes in certain scenes, but uh, yeah, that's just that's besides the point. Um, but no, she. I think D.W. Griffith said that her eyes were too blue and they couldn't be captured properly on camera. And then she she tried to 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 be a dancer in the theater, and they said that she she wasn't graceful enough or something so the, she had lots of no's in, at the start of her career and that made her even more resilient and even like fighting even harder so you almost so I almost, think... almost to say that she uh she had she had an idea of the american dream and went for it she did she absolutely did a lot of people will talk about john crawford being ambitious and being like you know the the, the really ambitious movie star but norma shira was even i think she was even more ambitious because Objectively speaking, her face is not as striking or as conventionally beautiful as John Crawford's face. I don't know. I kind of think Norma Shearer is a bit more. I, if I'm talking my, if I'm talking personal, like, like I, you know, if you had, if I had a picture of Norma Shearer in, you know, a, a free soul with that white dress, for example, or Joan Crawford <laughs> in some of the outfits that she wears, 
you know, in the women, for example, um, I okay. would okay. probably, I, you know, personally, I'm, you know, I, th- I think Joan, Joan Crawford, I think, is a bit too striking for for my personal. Yeah. But yeah, I, she's a bit I, too aggressive, isn't she? The thing with it, you know, I just want to touch on Joan Crawford while we're while we're there. So, like, I mean, I'd seen I'd seen Grand Grand Hotel, which is earlier. I've seen Paid, mm-hmm. which was earlier. We had Paid on the podcast, didn't we? Way back when. Yeah. Um, paired with uh, Park Chan Works, Old Boy. What a pairing that was! And mm. we've we've also had uh, Johnny Guitar um and oh, yeah. what happened, whatever happened to baby jane and me personally i i have seen Mild- mildred pierce i i think that this is this film here the women is maybe the first time i've seen her to be like the sexy seductress as it were i think you know the other movies like johnny guitar mildred pierce and baby jane they come like later on in her career where in hollywood terms that she isn't seen as as the uh quote yeah. unquote vamp uh, to use a to use a word, uh, I don't know if you wanted to attempt to explain to people what vamp uh, means. Well, I don't know if I would associate John Crawford with the vamp characters. That's more. I, no, I think I think dish. I think in this I think in this movie in the women I think she's she's playing that type. Yeah, well, she's yeah. the vamp. She's the 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 the. the, the, the dangerous woman trying to seduce and and consume the man yeah uh because the vamp is kind of a derivative of of the vampire the the you know that started with theta in 1915 so yeah the sort of insatiable sexualized woman that is exotic and and dangerous and yeah be afraid yeah. of her kind of thing. Yeah. I think, you know, I I did enjoy, I enjoyed how each of the interactions are between all these actresses. I thought Rosalind Russell, this is the second Russell movie I'd seen of, you know, the other one was uh, His Girl Friday, which we've had on the pod. I, I think she killed it as Mrs. Fowler. I, I actually like, <laughs> even though you, even though you actually meant to not like this character, and she does, she does kill it. Like she really don't like her. I, I loved every single minute that wrote, you know, Rosalind Russell was on so screen ridiculous, as Mrs. She? Fowler because it was just like, I know she's meant. I, I know this is like a fictional character, uh, but like I can see this <laughs> being a real person. <laughs> Like very, yeah. like she's she's doing these things, like she's saying all these things and doing all these things because she's just bored, and that's arguably more dangerous than what Joan Crawford was doing as Crystal and and yeah, you know it's it like what what Mrs Fowler does, you know, to 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 these women, you know, there's there's the quote saying, "Oh, don't don't confide in your girlfriends because if you do, you'll they'll make sure you lose your husband and your home," and that's yeah, that's, you know, that's just. Yeah, I, 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 I really, like I said, I really enjoyed Rosalind Russell's performance. And there's the, you know, the the Reno cat fight between her and and uh, is it uh, Paulette Goddard? Was it Mir- Miriam? Yeah, yeah, Paulette Goddard. Uh, and that was who that was, was married to Chaplin at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that was that was really quite quite funny to watch. <laughs> and the whole the whole sequence at the end uh with crystal and and uh you know Sylvia Fowler you know joining forces as it were, and then it all mm. unraveling the way it did 
Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed that. It was, it was a very, you know, it's, we're talking like setup and payoff here. You know, the movie did that. It did it very, very well. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing I, I really want to, I want to ask though is um, two, two things really. <laughs> it's interesting that this is a film starring exclusively women, uh, female screenwriter, yes. female screenwriters, and yeah. All they talk about is men. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit disappointing, uh, is that, isn't it? Yeah, it's and and even on the poster, I'm looking at the poster now. It says the women, and underneath it says is all about men! Exclamation yeah. mark! And it, it's like, would but and then I had this thought as to say, would this uh, would this movie pass the uh, Bechdel test? It does not, <laughs> because, unfortunately, uh, which is, I don't think which it is, does. There's like how many female parts in this, and yet I don't think a single conversation think, is had without talking about a man. I think she, I think Mary talks to her mother about her friends, so maybe it does. Barely by the skin of its teeth. Yeah, but then you know, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just, it's just a point. It's, no, I think it's, this is a sign of the times. It is a sign of the times. It's 1939. The world is about to be plunged into another great war. It's all about the men as well as women. And um, it's the production code. So we can't have a free soul anymore. We can't. It's just not there. We can't have it. Thanks to Joseph Breen, we can't have Norma Shearer lounging on a chaise long saying to Clark Gable, come on, put them around me. By the way, that scene was about was just close to being cut out of the film because it was just a bit too scandalous for nineteen thirty one. Which which scene was that? When uh, when uh, he wants to talk about marriage and how she sneaks into his flat and they never go out and he, her friends don't know about him and whatnot, and she's like, "Oh dear, he wants to talk some more," and he's like, "Oh, a man of action is better in action. Why do you have to talk about it all the time?" And then she goes, sort of like lays back on the, on the sofa and goes like, come on, put them around me. Yeah. She was wearing bit... that, uh, yeah, it was a bit yeah. scandalous. No, it was just is... before the, the father comes in drunk and finds her there. <laughs> father comes in drunk, which bit? Uh, the... Yeah, that, I think the, the thing... <laughs> when, he, the... when he's being thrown into the flat because yeah, he was okay. rowdy yeah. downstairs. Yeah, I get you now. The... Yeah. Um, with the the women, if we're talking like scandalous things, that bathtub. What, yeah. what was going on with that bathtub? <laughs> well, well, it was Crystal trying to be Crystal. I know. Did you did you notice the sort of it was all um, monogrammed and everything? Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, oh, uh, it was so tacky. <laughs> I thought it was just really tacky. It is. It is like, incredibly tacky. I was like, it's it's a it's not really a bathtub. It's more like a a fish tank with things on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this is what happens. I think that's the whole idea of Crystal being Crystal. She she likes those ostentatious things. She doesn't actually. She doesn't have good taste because she's the thing from the her- wrong side of the tracks. I think it's with her character compared to the others, though, is that she's one. She's the only one in in this whole group that's had to work to where she is. She's the only one that has a job. You know, she's yeah. not reliant on an, on another man. She's not reliant on you know 
she's not reliant on a fortune, for example. She's the only one who has to work for what she's got. And the movie kind of does a dirty in that way because it's like she's the only one of these Manhattanites who's like literally has to work for what she's got. And that's almost seen as a bad thing. You know, it's like, oh, look what look what working does to you women. Like, ladies, don't go and get a job. Don't do that because you'll end up becoming so, you know, jaded and and wanting to steal other women's men and it just I don't know. I don't uh, think that's I don't think that's the message. I think I the message you... about the jadedness, I think that's for Sylvia only. She becomes jaded and she gets, you know, her big nose into other people's business and that's what happens. Is that being her being jaded though? Is that her just being like bored? I, yeah, yeah. Um, the I other think. Thing, other thing I was going to yeah. ask: uh, your namesake is that Joan Fontaine by any chance? The true, very true. True, it is Joan Fontaine, as in as in the Joan in Kino Joan, uh, not Joan Crawford. Uh-huh. The, the, well, go on. It's actually John Blondell. <laughs> is it actually Joan Blondell? Okay, well. I, ruin that bit then uh the other thing i was going to say at the beginning is the uh images of the actresses being introduced and then with the animals (laughs) i think i think i think it was uh what phyllis povar who plays edith is the horse or the cat yeah yeah and it kind of does a dirty there's a lot of cat yeah i know and like why would you why would you do that it's just a bit silly yeah, it's a bit, yeah. But I don't think it's meant to be taken too seriously. And I think that's why, historically, I think Norma Shearer didn't really like her character that much because it didn't, add, it, it didn't actually add anything to her idea of, of, of womanhood slash forward-thinking, you know, feminist which I, I'm pretty sure she was, because yeah, the, she didn't let anything get in her way. Yeah. The only other thing I really wanted to bring up, really, was the uh, Technicolor fashion show, which was, uh, yeah. how do I put it, distracting, out of place? How did you... Uh, well, it wasn't really out of place, because we talk about women being women, and women like fashion. Especially yeah, back like, in those days. I, you know, I think I think I mean like not out of places in the scene. I mean the whole fact that it was in Technicolor. It, I it, think it was just MGM just flexing their muscles. This was we're we're talking. This is after Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Same year. Same year. Yeah. So I think yeah I think because of the the Wizard of Oz. I mean it was same year as as Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. So they kind of were like, "Oh, we we're doing that, but let's do." I mean, I don't, I don't actually know why they decided to just have that one sequence in color and the rest of it in black and white. Maybe it was budgetary constraints or something. Not exactly Howard Hawks. You can't reshoot a movie entirely in sound just because sound yeah. exists. Well, tell that to Howard Hughes. <laughs> That's what I meant. Now, Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. Howard Hughes. He always Howard Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. Howard Hughes, uh, not Howard, Howard Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> no, this this I mean, women was was a is it's a good movie. Don't worry, it's a good movie, and I did enjoy it a lot. And I, I you know, I, I can see myself at some point being like, hey, I'm just going to stick this on again because, like, you know, it's got that kind of, it's got that kind of rhythm to it, and it's not it's not melodramatic in any you know in 
in a way it's, yeah. it's m- much more comedic in, in its in its pacing um you know a free soul is the one that i would say you know that's maybe maybe rubbed me off a little bit the wrong way because it is maybe a little bit too airs on the on the too much on the side of melodrama and i'm not really one for those kind of movies even though like, i fair. do seem to enjoy some of them it's kind of a bit odd but uh i will give a free soul this it did I now have that image of Norma Shearer in that white dress, like burned into my <laughs> retinas. Uh, I'm not unhappy about that. Well, I'm actually quite proud that you've you've discovered Norma Shearer and you're not you're now a, a convert. You're like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I get, I get it. Love I get her. it. I get it. The thing you I get think, it. Good. I think me and you are going to end up. We, I know. You know, we're going to end up having this conversation. I know probably after recording and during other recordings and stuff i i know that this is going to be a recurring thing with with us because we end up always kind of talking about these actresses of this era but like it's the thing that you know we we we, we me and you we keep bringing up garbo and for us you know for you for you it was just like you know you were you were very much set me up and saying you you can't i don't want you to see any pictures of her until you see her in in uh, Ninochka. That was the thing. It was like you know, you just just yeah. be blown away as soon as you see her. And it was like literally when she came on screen, I was like, I kind of get it. But then it took me a little bit of time to be like, oh no, 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 no. I actually do get it because I think I needed more context about that era to kind of understand, you know, the power of Garbo and and the thing yeah. that she had. And I think that's maybe why I'm jumping onto Norma Shiro so quickly in comparison is because it's like i've got you know we're 90 odd episodes into this podcast you know we've recorded and i have so much more context to go off of that mm. i'm able to kind of be like i can i can say with conviction that i preferred noah mashira her kind of the way she is to joan Crawford. you know i can say i think i prefer that's very bold I, I prefer, you know, I said I prefer Nomi Norma Shearer as an actress to Joan Crawford. I, I don't know, like I, maybe that's just me. Okay. I'm, I'm, you know, she I, was, I'm not saying, she was great. I'm, yeah. So, you know, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because it's this conversation that we, we we I know we have we have quite a lot actually about the positioning of these actresses in of this era and mm-hmm. what makes them the names that they are. Yes. So. And I know that it's going to be a conversation that we're going to have in future recorded as well for definite. Uh, I know from the, on this season as well. So, yeah, and it, it's going to be interesting because we, we, we you, you touched on you touched on like the American dream and like you know she she very much had to work hard for what she want what she wanted as an actress and she kind of like ended up getting it. And the other way, the other thing is like her perception of you know her in the public consciousness as a Hollywood icon which are two things that I would attempt to argue in our next film, but uh, we'll get on to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> any, any other thoughts about the women? No, no. I, 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 I don't know. Have you, have you got, I, 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 I didn't really, really talk about a free soul really too much. Um, we, well, we did touch on it. Uh, you touch we, on that. I mean, I yeah, think I, you mentioned thought, the white dress a few times. <laughs> yeah, Lionel Barrymore I thought was pretty pretty good. Uh, his speech at the, he won at the, the Oscar end was, for that film. Yeah, his speech. I think probably for the speech, they probably saw yeah. the speech and was like, "There's the Oscar. Just have it." 
they yeah, finished just, the yeah. they finished the take. They finished the take after he fell down, and he stood back up, and they're like, "Here's here's the statue. Just take it." <laughs> I think uh, so because I think back in those days, you they were announced like weeks before, oh, so wow. they would just like yeah. They, they I mean the, the ceremony was just like you know they knew who was going to win, so they were like, "Okay, here you go, off uh, off you go." I said I I I thought you know Clark Gable. This is probably the first time I've liked a Clark Gable performance because I, you know, Ooh, he, I you didn't should see like, him in Night Nurse. <laughs> I was saying, I didn't like, I didn't really like Red Dust too much. Um, okay. remember, remember that we, we we did that with compared yeah. to the, the movie for Love. I found that a bit too melodramary, and I didn't really like his performance in 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 that film too much. And I thought Gone with the Wind, you know, we we spent two and a half hours on that movie, and I think both of us came to this conclusion that. It's a very overrated movie, but it has a certain power about it. Yeah, well, that one does does pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) At least, at least, yeah. So, and then yeah, Yeah. we we spoke about Norma, and I think you said if you're going to watch a Clarence Brown picture about romance, then watch Flesh and the Devil. (laughs) I want to see that on the big screen because I think that would be quite something. I think you're going to need to wear something loose. You know, you don't want anything tight around the collar. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So uh, just a few things about the production. I We've touched on the fact that the women is, the cast is mainly women. You don't see, even the dogs are female in, in this film, like at the beginning of the scene. Um, the script writer is the famous Anita Luz, who um, is yeah one of the best scriptwriters of early Hollywood. And I, I really liked that you enjoyed uh, Rosalind Russell's performance because I thought she was absolutely fantastic. And here's um, something interesting about the direction that George Cukert gave to her. He said play the part of Sylvia very broad. And I quote, because in this picture, Sylvia is breaking up a family and there's a child involved. And if you're a heavy, audience will hate you. Don't play like a heavy, just be ridiculous, end quote. So basically, Russell said, quote, he was 100% right. I was frightened to death, but from then on, I did what he said and everything that came to me from the women, namely my reputation as a comedian, I owe to George. He was marvellous to work for. He could think of a hundred bits of business for every moment, end quote. So, yeah, I think playing her ridiculously, like, loud and, and obnoxious and just, you know, for comedic value was better than just doing her heavy. This is, I think, um, let me double check, but this is, I think, because she, and before then, Rosalind Russell was not a comedic actor. She was, she was um, quite heavy. So she, one thing that I would recommend if you want to see her dramatic performances, I think Craig's wife is is up there and she's really scary. And Craig Craig's wife, I think was 1936, yeah. She's one of those OCD women, very domineering, but she's like really scary, very icy. So you kind of okay. you, you can't yeah you can't you can't picture her icy because I, I I know her like the first thing I've saw I saw her in was um, his girl Friday but then you see a Craig Craig's wife and you're like okay she can do drama she can do drama very well 
good. So yeah. And um, we mentioned that John Fontaine is in this, and she this is pre Rebecca, obviously. She was she was still like a, a playing second fiddle to to the, these other women. But she recorded her impressions of of each of the actresses that she worked with, and she said about Norma Shearer, quote, hers was a dignified, delightfully warm demeanor. John Crawford, she said, had the democratic touch, knowing every group and electrician by name, end quote. Of Rosalind Russell, she said, was a tomboy, hearty, frolicsome, highly popular with the cast and crew. But she said that the best was George Huker. Quote, he handled all the women in the star-studded cast with tact and gallantry so that what might have been a highly charged assignment for any other director turned out to be a happy association all around. We adored George, as do all actresses who work with him. End quote. So yeah, because if, if you think about it, all these actresses were kind of, in the media, were kind of pitted against each other, particularly Norma Shearer and John Crawford, who were, I mean, they were all, all at the same studio, so they were kind of all vying for the same parts, so to speak, sometimes, even though they had different personas, like Rosalind Russell was different, and she kind of, she was like lower tier compared to John Crawford and Norma Shearer. But it, it the, the egos might have been a bit flared up, but I don't think I think they were all very professional. Although I have heard that at some point, when Norma Shearer was was doing a scene, John Crawford tried to undermine her by by reading the lines whilst um, knitting loudly with her um, knitting needles, which kind of brought her concentration. But I don't know. And here's a quick funny quote um fact okay so at the rap party at the rap party russell and russell was dancing with george cooker when ernst lubitsch passed her and said if you want more close-up in the picture never mind dancing with your director you'd better dance with norma shearer without huh. missing a beat russell took shearer's hand and, and with a wink she danced her across the floor um so yeah it, i think it 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 kind of warms the heart to to think about these all these actresses who were more or less competing with each other they still had you know good sense and professionalism to to be you know good sports and and make something really long lasting and and very good together i think this film was uh, remade wasn't it recently I won't say recently yeah. but like let's say recently. i wouldn't bother with that no but I, I, have you seen it i'm just i was going to ask i have, have seen, seen it? it i have seen it with meg ryan Annette Benning, Deborah Messing, Eva Mendes. And is is it is it just not good at all? It's just very stale. Because I mean, I think in this day and age, women would not fight over men that way. Or or be as catty. I mean, the character of Sylvia was changed slightly to make Sylvia more sympathetic. But it still didn't work very well, and yeah, it just it, it it was. I think there was no chemistry, and it was just kind of flat. I mean, we we've, we've spoken about Meg Ryan before on the pod podcast. I can't remember what film it was we were talking about. It might have just been might have been in Prime. Might have been just one of those conversations. Me and you have about mm-hmm. certain actresses, but she she uh, 
she's I mean no I I like Meg Ryan but her career has really just not gone anywhere in the last like you know 20 years or so but she even then like I I'm assuming Meg Ryan is is playing the the Norma Shearer role um yes I, I don't yes, think I don't think it's a good substitution personally well, in 2008, when the film was released, Meg Ryan was still kind of America's sweetheart, so to speak, more or okay. less. Yeah. But I don't think... I think Meg Ryan can play Meg Ryan very well, but she's not very versatile. What I mean, it? what has Meg Ryan ever done to say, wow, she was really, like, acting chops-wise, she went really deep with that role? I don't know, because all I can think of is her in Inner Space, and she's really good in Inner Space. Mm. Um, and then, you know, she's in Top Gun as well, but then that's more of a heightened film than anything. So it's mm. not really a performance where you're thinking, you know, you're, you're thinking about the acting chops. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a, a thing to bring, I thought it would be worth bringing up the, the remake, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't think it's it's that worthwhile. It's just me. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it, I, I, I'm going to ask you if there's anything else, because I'm not even sure you want to talk about the next film, but uh, is, there, is there anything else you want to... I have notes on the next film. Oh, you have notes? Okay. I do have notes on the next film. I have not <laughs> dismissed our next film. Is there anything you wanted to add more? I, oh, um, I think, yeah, this is one of Freddie Mercury's favourite films. <laughs> Okay. But, I know. Yeah. I know this also, is one of Greta Gerwig's one of one of Greta Gerwig's favorite movies. I know that. Is it? Um, in terms of um, being kind of pitted against each other, just to like a side note, John Crawford was kind of always in Norma Shearer's shadow when they started out. Norma Shearer was the lead actor, and John Crawford played her body double. In a 1925 silent film where Norma Shearer was playing um, double um, two characters who look, who happened to look exactly like Norma Shearer. So it did kind of make you think about John Crawford's career trajectory, and I'm I'm not I'm trying to say that I can't dismiss her because she was she started off in, in Norma's shadow, not Norma's shadow, but she did eventually become one of the greatest movie stars of all time and people remember remember her more than they remember Norma. I'm not sure how fair that is because you've just said that you would prefer Norma to John but still uh, I think John was also very very ambitious and talented as well and very hardworking as well and she didn't give up. I think that's that's her saving grace. She did not give up. Well, that was something we spoke about when we did uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, wasn't it? it was the yeah the different career? I wouldn't say different careers, but how Joan and and Betty kind of went their ways in in Hollywood. Yeah, they were like, well, no, I know I'm forty five, I know I'm fifty, but I'm not going to give up my career. I just want to keep on working. Mm. So they were both very resilient, and that's yeah. In terms of role models, I think there's something to be said. Norma Shearer uh, retired in 1942 when she married her ski instructor. Okay. And, um, yeah, she... I found out recently that she was always obsessed with the way she looked, even when she was older. And then she... I think she developed dementia late in life. And she started calling her second husband by her first husband's name 
Irving. So she was a bit, yeah. Oh, that's sad. It's a bit sad, but it's. It, I think it's. It's important to say that because I think most, uh, lots of people dismissed the marriage as a marriage of convenience, but I think they really loved each other, Irving and Norma. Yeah. 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 Um, on that note, let's talk about the next movie. So the next movie couldn't be any different, really. It's men versus women. So. On 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 a <laughs> on a surface level, but like I kind of alluded to, there was stuff going on about talking about the American dream, about uh, perceptions of yeah. icons that I'm going to attempt to uh, do justice to on, on this one. So this is uh, Pain and Gain from 2013, directed by Michael Bay. Yes, I've got a Michael Bay po- uh, f- uh, film on the podcast. Yay. He did it, ladies and gentlemen. It only took 90-odd episodes. And I managed to... I mean, we we did that, and I managed to get two episodes into one. <laughs> two movies into one. So uh, this film yeah. stars Mark Marky Mark Wahlberg, Marky uh, Mark. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Anthony Mackie, Tony Shalhoub, Ed Harris, Rob Corddry, and brief synopsis: A trio of bodybuilders in Florida get caught up in an extortion ring and a kidnapping scheme that goes terribly wrong. This film is based on a true story. I'm going to put "based" in italics. Hmm. And Danny, what did you think of Pain and Gain? Okay, so... If I said I tried to like it, would you believe me? I I would believe you, because I know you do try to like these things that I show you. Listen, it's hard to think of this as being based on true events, because it's hard to think of a bunch of guys being so stupid. Like, really, really stupid. Um, I know it's supposed to be a comedy, but I didn't find much laughter. I I found almost nothing funny about this. Maybe I just didn't didn't understand the the type of humour presented to me in this, but I found it in in quite bad taste. And it's a two-hour, eight-minute film, and I kind of lost interest halfway through. And I tried to get it back. So by the time they killed the woman with the implants, I was kind of like, what? I was like, why? Why are you doing this? And they, so basically they kill her and then they talk about taking the implants out so they can sell them. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought I might have misunderstood that bit. I just wanted to make it clear. <laughs> Okay, so I don't think this film has aged particularly well. Here's the thing. Daniel Lugo, played by Marky Mark, goes to this motivational speaker, yeah? Yeah. Played by that guy in The Hangover. Ken John. Yeah. Who's actually, who's actually a doctor in real life. He's actually a doctor of medicine in real life. Oh. Go on. Some people have all the talent, right? Yeah, I know, right? Um, I mean, he's good. But it just, the character he's playing, uh, it kind of... Wait, you talking about, you talking about Marky Mark or are you talking about Ken John? Ken John, the, the, <laughs> the, the motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a type. It's a type of character that, we, that you kind of recognise from these, you know, yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. 
It was just, I mean, it might have been funny in a pre-Andrew Andrew Tate world, but I think we're past dismissing it as harmless fun now because, as we know, Andrew Tate is a real person with a huge following online, even though he's now arrested in Romania, of all places. <laughs> but he had, you know, planted the seed of misogyny into the brains of so many impressionable young boys and girls. So I just, it's kind of hard to swallow this sort of humor now. I mean, I don't know. Because he's, he's sort of, this, this motivational speaker gives them a spiel about how to be successful and whatnot. And then proceeds to brag about how many hot chicks he's banging. And if you've ever looked into Andrew Tate, he does that as well. He starts talking about how to make money in in very, like, quite crude way. But then he talks about how to get chicks and how to bang as many girlfriends, how to have as many girlfriends as possible. And it's just kind of leaves a bitter taste in one's mouth. You know, I mean, was this meant to be a joke in bad taste? Was it meant to be an exaggeration of how stupid, stupid people can get? I don't know. It, I didn't want to dismiss it as a bad movie and I tried to find things to like and I was genuinely curious about this. I like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think he has good comedic timing and um, Rebel Wilson, uh, I've always found her funny except in this. <laughs> I think, I don't know, The Rock, I think he, there were maybe two or three times where I kind of smiled at him being so stupid, but also he was being stupid in a kind of sweet, I can't believe how brainless you are kind of way. But I think the direction was a bit not tight enough. It was just like, where's the narrative going with this? It's just too much fluffing around. And I don't know, maybe the narrative was kind of packaged in a way that made very little sense to me. Like, who are we supposed to care about here? We're just, we're presenting with these individuals that we don't really care about, none of them. And by the time a half-decent character comes along, played by Ed Harris, I've already kind of, I'm out of the picture. I'm just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not invested enough. Does that make any sense? Mm. It just feels like Ed Harris could have been introduced earlier on as the sort of to counterbalance these guys. Because he's the sort of antagonist, so to speak, because he's the good guy and they, they're the bad guys, right? Yeah. So by the time he shows up, I'm already kind of disengaged and I don't care if he turns out to be, uh, if he catches them or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, and it's it's just, yeah, very testosterone and it's just so like, I can't... I, also, I could not see the connection between being very ripped and being quite rich. I mean, do you, if, you're, if you're good looking and and can bench I don't know how much and be look in a certain way and be like, you know, full of steroids. Do you, I mean, do you have to be rich as well? Is that what the message is of this film? No, I don't think so anyway. Okay. Now over to you. So. <laughs> I, I, hmm. I think this is Michael Bay's best movie. 
when I say when I say that, what I mean is. Oh my god! How can you say that? Oh, oh! <laughs> I'm just going to look at Michael Bay on IMDb and see what other <laughs> films is directed, and I'm going to say you were wrong. I mean, I know exactly the film you're going to pull up, so I'm just going to wait. Oh, I'm just going to wait until you see it and then just proclaim its name. Right. So I, I think that this is Michael Bay's best film. In the why? Just give me two reasons. Michael Bay hates humanity. <laughs> oh, uh, he what? His movies, especially in recent years, like he has he has no regard for human life. He he really does not care about anybody in his films. The only time you see anything being given uh, a loving kind of look or a look, you know, a, 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 a careful, watchful eye is when he's talking about dogs. And we see that in this movie, the only, char- the only character in this movie, apart from, you know, Ed Harris's Ed Dubois, who's, uh, who was a consultant on this movie, is the, the greyhound that, uh, that Anthony Mackie's um, Adrian steals. The only time you, you're ever looking at a thing in this movie where it's, you know, we are showing showing something with love. Mike Michael Bay has complete disregard for humanity. Uh, he has a. Very... Is that why he's subjecting us to this crap? <laughs> so, when when he is presenting a story, which is this is based on a true story. I mean, when I say it- in, in italics, is that a lot of this, like for example, uh, Dwayne Dwayne's character Paul Doyle, he is like an amalgamation of, of several different characters. Uh, Victor Kershaw is, um, <laughs> uh, so Victor Victor Kershaw's character or real life uh, person, I think it's a guy called Mike Schiller. In real life, he was actually arrested for for uh, defrauding uh, Medicare for like fourteen million dollars, I think. And I think if you were to put that into the movie, into this, it would be like, or well, you're kind of muddying the waters here about, you know, this is somebody who worked hard for what they wanted and was end up being screwed over by people who just wanted to take it from him. This movie presents the American dream as some sort of sickly disease that. I this don't is, think that's true. This is the ni- this is 1995. This is this has been filmed. This is present uh, thing. This is uh, an America that has gotten over the coke fueled era of Tony Montana, over you know the 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 mafia stuff of 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 Michael Corleone. So the reason why I bring up you know Tony Montana, Michael Corleone, is because he references these characters who he says have worked hard to what they what they have. And you know they uh, they earn it, and basically that immediately sets off alarm bells in your head. Thinking this is this character's heroes are people who are crooks. Michael Colonioni is not the hero of the Godfather, the Godfather series. He really isn't. He you know it's it's insane that somebody thinks this way. So if you put yourself into that mindset. That did not come across on the on this film. I'm sorry. Well, I think I think maybe it's because I, I I have seen this movie like I've seen this movie quite a few times. So I think for me, 
I see the fact that we we have a color palette that is like the the greens and the blues and the pinks are all really kind of quite sickly and they almost feel as though they're they're bleeding into this you know the 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 red white and blue of the american flag you know there's the scene where um uh it's totally fabricated thing that it didn't happen where the rock opens up a bag full of money and it's been sprayed with that you know the green paint that you are and it he is and it's yeah it's it's just it's very it's very a sickly kind of color it's like this is leading into the into the film like the the neon you know the look of miami that we know from miami vice you know this this has been distorted maybe we're not in miami are we in miami yeah this is in miami this takes place in miami this that's what i mean like the the i think for me i see this movie as michael bay who hates like he said he has no regard for humanity at all can I uh, just he, say something? Go on. Being a misanthrope doesn't make you a good director. If you hate humanity, just I don't know. It just it it does not tra- it, it does not translate on on the screen. What what you're saying? What you're saying does not translate on on the screen. Maybe if you're looking into you you kind of you know deep diving into it, but as a, as a person who's not. You know, American. I th- I think it, no, I, th- I think it's. I'm not American. I think the, the the thing the thing that maybe I'm. You know, the maybe the the benefit that I have, as it were, if you call it a benefit, is that I've seen every Michael Bay movie at least two or three times, and have been able to pick up on what makes him work as a director and what makes him doesn't work as a director. For example, Transformers: Dark of the Moon, the third Transformers movie. The last 45 minutes of that is a, is a set piece that takes place in Chicago. It's the Battle of Chicago between the Decepticons and the Autobots. Is one of the best choreographed action set pieces of the 20th, 21st century. It is incredible because you are looking at it in, in a way that Michael Bay knows exactly what he's doing and how to pull off what he does. There is so much intention and so much purposefulness in the way he shoots action that you really only notice it when you're watching people who try to do what he does and can't do it because they're not Michael Bay. It's So when I'm talking about Pain and Gain is his best movie, I'm saying that as somebody who... I've, I'm not saying he's a good director. I'm not putting him up there with the aforementioned George Cukor, for example. I'm not doing oh. that. Okay. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're agreeing on something. Yeah. Okay. What I all I'm saying is nobody does what Michael Bay can do. Only Michael Bay can do what Michael Bay can do. And for that, <laughs> he is extremely, extremely good at it. Okay. Um, because it's a very, very specific type of filmmaking. There's only one director that really comes close is Paul W. S. Anderson. Who did who did um Event Horizon is wow. Event Horizon is his best movie. But when you look at the Resident Evil movies, you know, those action set pieces and that are just insane. No one does what he does. And it's when you look at somebody like Jonathan Liebsman or or 
Um, the guy that directed uh, Terminator 3, for example, I can't remember his bloody name, Jonathan Mostow. Like, you look at these directors who do these action set pieces and they just don't work. There just seems to be something there that doesn't quite feel right. But I'm looking at this film and it doesn't feel right. So I don't know what you're talking about. Because I, I was lost. I was lost. It was just... I know what you're saying, what you're trying to say, but I didn't. It this doesn't even feel like an action film. It feels like something jammed up together and like you know shoved into your face. So and this... like trying to run you over slowly in reverse until you cry and you say, "Stop it now, please! I'm I th- dead." I think that's the point. I honestly think that's the point. Like. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for, for, why? For, for example, right? For example, okay, this movie, its budget was $22 million. Okay. To put that into comparison, that is the same budget as Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. You, why are we you, talking about budget now? No, 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 no. Right. But does this movie look as though it is made on the same level production wise as Silver Linings Playbook? No, it doesn't. It's, it's a movie that looks three times more expensive than than that David Russell piece. Like, there's a okay. way there's a way that might the Bay makes things where there there is a craft there. And my wow. def, my I honestly I'm I I I I, mm. I know you're not mm. you know just arguing against what I'm saying for the sake of arguing. I know that you. I'm just saying that it just feels quite tacky and just overloaded with shit. Yeah, it is. It is because I th- I think that's honestly the point. This film, the film Pain and Gain, is really basely funny. It's funny on a base level. Like, there's no mm. deep level of humor in it. It is okay. very overly juvenile. The fact that Michael yeah. Bay Michael Bay finds it extremely funny. That characters are talking about homosexuality, and then when there are homophobic or homophobia on screen, he finds it incredibly funny for some fucking reason. The film is quite upsetting in the way it depicts its its victims. For example, yes. like for example, the porn king and his wife. Like the way they die in the movie mm. is, I mean, in real life. It wasn't actually apparently it wasn't an accident. They were actually were killed like intentionally. It wasn't an accident. Whereas uh-huh. here it's presented in an accident accidental way, and it's it is quite upsetting in a, in a way. The way that Victor Kershaw like as a character, yes, he's a very very nasty piece of work. He's very difficult to like as a person, but the way he is treated is not like it doesn't. It, I I don't watch it and feel like I'm laughing at this. I'm feeling sympathetic and like thinking this is incredibly stupid and incredibly like appalling to what i'm seeing and i think bay for once is on 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 the same level as this i think he (laughs) you're gonna laugh at me but this isn't the same director that made bad boys 2 where there's a scene in bad boys 2 where martin lawrence looks through a hole into a into a thing and sees two rats having sex okay this this film this film is is slightly above that in its uh, in in the way it presents uh, uh, some things that are appalling and grotesque. Like there is actually some sort of subtext there. I think that you know the America that is presented on screen, like I said, is 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 almost been like 
infected by these like garish oversaturated colors like this isn't a miami that you're looking at going oh i'd really want to go there you know it's not like the same miami that we see in in miami vice you know which is the you know when you think of miami that's kind of what you're thinking about you're thinking of that's what miami is you know bad boys the first one is set in miami for example so is the second one actually so is the third one but the, the you know what i mean the, there's the, the, three bad boys there are three bad boys movies um wow so like so what i'm saying mm. is that there so in, in 2013 right we we got two movies so we got Martin Scorsese released The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a film about the excess of America. You, mm-hmm. you, would, you would agree with me on that. It's three and yeah. a half hours long. It feels really bloated and it does, but it's a really it, good it movie. It is bloated. It is a bloated movie. I didn't movie. like it. Okay, I really like Wolf of Wall Street. But there it was, is... It was, yeah. But there is, there is a, 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 an intention with Scorsese's picture that makes you go, okay, that is a, a side of America that, you know is it's horrible to see and like the way the, the the way he presents it is is on that same kind of lines i think pain and gain is almost like the sibling film to this in okay. that it it's sh- in into wolf of wall street in that it's showing it's showing an america that that, that is just off and horribly like wrong in the way it presents itself like danny lugo you know if if you were to show this to a bro frat boy who's like 17 18 he'd probably proclaim that praying and gain is like the best movie ever made and you'll start looking at daniel lugo the same way he looks at um leonardo dicaprio's character wolf of story whose name escapes me um so you know what i mean like where he's like yeah, Jordan Belfort. You know, there's this whole Wall Street bros who identify that Jordan Belfort is the best thing that's ever happened to America. And I bet you there are people out there who view this movie who see Danny Lugo as the same thing. But this is what I mean. We don't need to uh, have have these... We don't need to stylize these guys. We don't need to, you know, give them the time of the day because you get people like Andrew Tate who actually become these guys in real life and we don't need more of these no, guys in real no life. i i think you're right i think in in a in a post-trump world this film is a very difficult watch in the, yes because it look it feels as though it's glorifying these people but i can assure you that it's really not because you know what it, you know what okay okay i agree yeah. with you but what this film if anything, has shown me that there are very, very stupid people out there. And we don't need to give these stupid people out there role models like these ones, because they can't tell the difference between satirical and and, and fact. One of the things the film does through the movie is is it keeps signaling signaling that this is a true story when the rock is like barbecuing that human flesh for example there's a sig- it comes up saying this is still a true story mm. you know it, it, it and it's like the it's doing that because it's trying to remind you that this is incre- these are incredibly stupid actions you are seeing on screen so much so that it's stra- it's stranger than fiction and mm. when we get to the end 
we see that these people are punished. Like, two of them are sentenced to death. One of them dies in prison. Like, it's... It's not... You know, if, if the film... If the film had any kind of, if it was trying to present like moral ambiguity in any kind of way, I think it would have shown the fact that, you know, Victor Kershaw's character in real life, you know, might show it. Like, I think it would have presented the fact that, oh yeah, no, by the way, this guy that we, you know, had all these horrible things done to him. Well, it turns out he ripped off $14 million from Medicare, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, that's kind of the wrong thing, to, wrong message really to be sending out at the end of this movie. So it is. I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's. It's doing it in a in a in a in a good way. I'm just saying it's presenting it in a way that is wholly unique and totally in tune with what Michael Bay does as a filmmaker. So I I understand. I really get it. Like people do not like Michael Bay's movies. I get it. I really do. You know, it took me a long time for me to kind of get it you know have this switch on moment the only reason i actually had this moment is because i studied him when i when i came to do my bachelor's dissertation i know <laughs> you know you remember like i came in i went into that I because i was like i really why am i doing this i don't like any of the transformers movies but then but it now just, you do now i do because i i get it i it's like this sudden moment of clarity so when I, you know, when I'm watching something like Ambulance, which you know came out, you know came out last year, that's a really good movie, really good movie, and no one does it like Michael Bay, and I'm really grateful of that. So what you're saying here is that if you if you force yourself long enough to do something that is very uncomfortable and horrible to watch, you will see the the. the you will see something worthwhile. You'll find you'll find the silver lining in it. That's no. All I'm saying is, I I took a lot. I took the time to try and understand something that I didn't get. Like I didn't get why there were critics like uh, Lindsay Ellis and Patrick H. Willems on on YouTube who are film critics. I I respect. I didn't understand why they were defending Michael Bay the way that they were defending him. Because I hadn't, I, my literally, my knowledge of Michael Bay was, oh yeah, he was the guy that did Bad Boys Two and the Transformers movies, and I didn't really like Transformers Part One, and I don't really like Armageddon. You know, that's the way I'm. That's the way I went into it. But when mm-hmm. I took the time and been like, okay, right, I'm going to try and understand what is actually going on here, and you know that maybe you know that maybe it's the case of the jokes on me you know you know nick you stupid idiot why did you you know you spent 13 movies trying to understand a filmmaker but that's just i think here when i'm watching pain and gain i'm seeing the benefit of that because i'm seeing like a filmmaker who you know to go back to what we were talking about with norma shira in the you know the the, con- the public consciousness was her was that she was almost as goody goody two shoes. Yet for for you, you're very much presenting and going. No, actually, there's so much more going on underneath the surface. I'm saying that here with Michael Bay. I think that he isn't just the guy that does Bayhem. He isn't just the guy that 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 just presents explosions. You know, I'm I'm not saying I I'm not saying I was hoping for you to watch Pain and Gain and finally get it in this moment of clarity. I was just I was present showing you Pain and Gain because it's showing. Uh, 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 an America which is really, really corrupted, and is showing a, a mass, a former masculinity which is 
incredibly hor- horrifying to watch really in this post-Trump world, this post-Andrew it Tate is. world that we're living in. Yes, yes, it is. I, you, I have to agree with you but on this, that one. This, yeah, this came out 10 years before Andrew Tate. This came out ten or four years or three years actually before uh, Trump got elected. And it almost feels like prescient in a way, the same way that Wolf of Wall Street does. Because mm. Wolf of Wall Street came out in 2013 as well. And yet, you yeah. know, we're, we are living in a 2023 where banks are still getting away with fucking murder. True. You know, we're living in a 2023 where, you know, male figures like Andrew Tate, who are very much the the real life versions of what we're seeing on screen with in pain yeah. and gain. They're existing yeah. in this real world. And unfortunately, society hasn't got to that point where it's publicly shaming them. You know, hasn't got to a point where it's like, these people are bad. Yes, okay, Andrew Tate is in a fucking prison cell in Romania. He's actually on under home arrest, unfortunately. Oh, home arrest in Romania. Exactly, home arrest in Romania. You know, well, we're uh, trying to get him behind bars. Yeah, I really hope you guys do. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just like, yeah. like, I'm, like I'm saying, like Danny Lugo in this movie, like you said, he looks up to Michael Colonia, looks up to Tony Montana, and these are men that he thinks that they deserve their right to get there, to work their way to the top. He misses the point, the fact that they all fell. That yeah. after the yeah. fall comes the rise, and it never actually dawns on Danny at all that he is falling, that when he's falling, you know, when he, when it's happening, you know, he's just like, he's just going to keep going. He's going to keep going, you know, and you have someone like Adrian played by Anthony Mackie, who's like the sheep. He's the blindly following Danny to the end. You know, he, and the rock is also kind of a sheep, isn't he? Yeah. The rock is a sheep. You know, he's dumb, violent, bipolar, but he he's also the only really the one that really seems to suffer for his actions on a mental level. You know, he turns to yeah. drugs to keep him level. But the problem is his level is way off. <laughs> you know, I don't think I honestly think that this isn't this pain and gain isn't a righteous story about bad guys being misunderstood. I really don't. I don't think it's a tragic one about a victim being wrongfully hurt. I I truly think that May despises everybody on screen, apart with the exception of Ed Dubois and uh, the the Greyhound. Mm. Like, so okay. I'm gonna okay. link to this. I'm gonna link to this in the show notes. All right. So there are a couple of articles. Okay. So there's one written by uh, film uh, film critic David Chen on Slash Film, uh, which uh, talks about. The four differences between pain and gain and real life and what they say about Michael Bay. So for an example about example is um so let's go with let's go with the fact that the Mike Schiller is this real guy. So you know, the fact that Mike Schiller in real life, you know, you know, like I said, he, he forwarded Medicare for 14 million, you know, and it's kind of thinking okay. The fact is, is that what happened in real life is the state attorney general um, had sold him out. This apparently this mm-hmm. is what uh, this is what Pete Collins says in the Pain and Gain story. He says for three years she had used him, forced him to relive every excruciating detail of his confinement: the starvation, the burns, and electric shocks, the beatings, the abject terror, the absolute physical and psychological mortification. She had extracted everything she could, and then she disposed of him. And you know, that's where he ended up with the 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 her, him being a charge for for the Medicare scheme. And then David Chen goes on to, you know, say, what does it tell us about Michael Bay? 
And he says, Bay has always had a fetishistic appreciation of the fine folks in the US law enforcement and military. In classic form, the opening, closing and painting game has some pretty spectacularly choreographed shots of police officers in full regalia. The moral of the story is explicitly clear in the film. The police messed up real good, but they made up for it by finally getting their man in the end. Kershaw is already an asshole in the film. Making him into a criminal on a massive scale would have brought a dose of moral ambiguity into things. And we all know how Bay feels about moral ambiguity. Wait, no, we don't. I think that's kind of uh, that's that's kind of one of the points about the film. Okay. I, I, I think that's why it kind of exists how it is. You can mm. find the original Miami. Uh, no, it wasn't Miami. It was new, new the new time. Yeah, it was the Miami New Times uh, published the, the three part series called Pain and Gain. You can find that on on the internet. It's on the archive. I do recommend reading it because it it's more baffling than the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that this this thing actually happened and one of the behind the scenes things that i watched to do with the movie because Dwayne actually grew up in miami and he was saying about how for him you know it was this it was this thing that happened and nobody could believe that this insane thing happened in miami in in 1995 mm-hmm. you know and there does there does seem to be this kind of understanding of this is really really quite insane but incredibly stupid and it is worth telling this this story on screen why because i think it shows i think it honestly shows the stupidity of a certain kind of masculinity and the way that america in 2013 you know in that era we're talking pre-trump by the way is becoming is going to become or will become a horrible twisted version of the american ideal and that is something that that's something we're going to get into in a few weeks time because there's another movie coming up on the podcast where i'm going to go into this kind of thing again but it hopefully hopefully you might enjoy that movie more i don't know i actually don't know if you're going to enjoy that movie more but we'll get there the only other thing i was going to bring up is uh miss romania sabina petrescu don't even don't even okay um, she's not the actress is not Romanian by the way no no the actress isn't Romanian um, okay so things her actual thing is actually quite faithful to who she was in real life okay. um, Danny Lugo actually did convince her that he was in the CIA and yeah um, she you know Lugo approached her to say you know I want to be in a music video um, oh. She'd been an exotic dancer in Modiful Penthouse. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, she didn't go off to Doyle in real, uh, but in, in real life, she actually stuck with Lugo. She um, to the bitter end, uh, fleeing with him and his parents to the did Bahamas. Did she get arrested? Uh, no, she didn't. I I don't know. If she did get arrested. I can't really. I can't find that bit. Um, mm. And the thing that Pete Collins says is that you know why did she believe this crazy story? Right, Collins writes that. Quote, she was dot, 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 dim. One of the prosecutors yeah. after the scheme made a similar assessment. You see, God bless Sabina Petrescu with beautiful face and a beautiful body, but not with any book smarts or common sense. You see, I, I, I don't know if I agree with you that these stories should be presented to the public because they could be misconstrued as 
role models. Just like Danny thought Michael Corleone was a role model. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why that's the problem is, is that we're looking, like I said, we're looking at this in a post-Trump world. We're Mm. looking at this in 2023. I think in 2013, the world was different in 2013. The world hadn't ended yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're looking at it now, so we it hasn't aged well. Going back to my previous comment, I don't or, think it or, has. Or you can argue that it has aged very well because it's showing the dangers. It's showing the stupidity that's to come. <laughs> yeah, but we are smart people. But other people who watch it now, they don't. They, they don't think that way. Yeah, I I, I, I get it. I get it. I you, get it. Uh, to quote, um, well, okay. To quote Jim Jeffries, we have to move as slow as the slowest person to, 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 you know, not go extinct. But I think it's a bit too late for that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, so this is what men do. No, this isn't. This is no, not women. No. Not. Oh, God, you did not just say that. <laughs> okay. You know, I, 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 I'm glad. Not all men. I, I, I love that so much. I think. Do you, do you do you I mean I I kind of want to I want to I want everyone really to touch on this like do you get why I've wanted to talk about Michael Bay Yeah 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 I get it I get it I'm not dim even no, though I'm from Romania <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Okay mm-hmm. Uh I so, do get it no seriously yeah. all jokes aside Yeah But you do get why it brought me off the wrong way yeah, no, no, I get it because I, I, I wasn't expecting you to like this movie. I really wasn't. If I, if I was wanting to present you a Michael Bay movie and to show you to say, look, I actually think you're going to like this that you hadn't seen before, I would legitimately show you Ambulance, for example. Listen, all like full disclosure, I've seen Six Underground and I did not dislike it. I enjoyed it. The Island was a film that I enjoyed as well. Wow, I think you're the only person in the world to like the island. <laughs> I think it was well acted. I like uh, Ewan McGregor, and always a, sh- a bad Sean Bean is always good. Okay, the island is not a good movie, <laughs> but yeah, can we we'll carry on? Oh please, get off your high horse. <laughs> and Armageddon. I grew up with Armageddon, and I like I liked it. I haven't seen it in like decades, but when I saw it at- for the first time, I, I enjoyed it. But why did I know I was like twelve? And the, and rock, the rock, obviously, which is one of the films that bought, that dawned on, that made this podcast. Yeah, one of two films that made this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say what we will about Michael Bay, but he, you know, you owe a lot to him because if it wasn't for Michael Bay, you wouldn't have a platform to talk about Norma Shearer the way you know on the recording yeah and, i would and... only be talking to myself about about her so that's fair thank you thank you, thank you michael bay <laughs> but now you you should also thank michael bay for bringing for bringing norma shira to you yeah no and, i do and enriching your life with I that did... satin white dress <laughs> i did not i did not know that that was going to be a thing but it is it is a thing okay so, I, 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 if you got anything else to add um, before we finish? No, I think I think we can finish with Norma Shira's white dress. Okay, let's finish on Norma Shira's white dress. Um, <laughs> Danny, so um, 
Are you, you, I've kind of changed things because we're originally going to have something else for next week. Yes, so what are we, yeah, what have you changed? What are we seeing next time? What are we talking about next time? Next week, we are going to be talking about our second Robert Wise film on the podcast, which is 1963's The Haunting. (gasps) Yay! We're going, we're going with hauntings. And we are pairing that with... Another uh, a favorite, my favorite filmmaker. I think my favorite filmmaker, uh, John Carpenter's *In the Mouth of Madness* from 1994, uh, a film starring Sam Neill. That's all I'm gonna say. It's got Sam Neill in it. I love Sam Neill. Oh, you're gonna love *In the Mouth of Madness*. Then I really, really hope. Have you seen *Possession*? I haven't. No, I haven't seen *Possession*. No, it's *Possession*. I haven't seen *Possession*. *Possession*. Yeah, I've not seen that. It's been on my watch list forever. He's uh, good, and Isabella Johnny, she's bonkers. Okay, I, I see if I I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and see if I can get around to watching that that before next week. But mm. in in the mouth of man, that's paired with the haunting. So, um, because I, I I know you're a big fan of the haunting of Hill House, aren't you? The the, the whole story thing. Yes, yes. Um, I am looking forward to it. Well, that's going to be fun next week. In the meantime, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Joan and my website is kinojohn.co.uk. I haven't uh, put anything there on yet, but I will do in the next few weeks. And you can find me on Twitter. I've, I've returned to Twitter now. I, Yay! Yay! You, you, yeah. Uh, Elon Musk called you personally and asked you, please, Nick, please give us another chance. Yeah, that's what happened, right? Yeah, your 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 one hundred and fifty followers need somebody to look to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so you could you could find me on Twitter where I'm probably just going to be talking about Columbo because uh, I'm I'm really watching <laughs> I'm watching Columbo for the first time. Was this prompted by uh, Wings of Desire? It, it was very much prompted by Wings of Desire. <laughs> Love it, love I it. Went, I went into HMV and they had the Colombo box set on offer and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Do it. I'm, I'm do just going to do it. So, yeah, I've, I've got the Colombo box set so I would never to be working my way through that. So you can find me on Twitter where I'm talking about the Colombo probably. Uh, my website is superatomovision.com I have just recently finished uploading all my chapters of my master's dissertation on uh, multiverses mcu and spider-man i'm going i'm working on a like an afterword a postscript as it were where i'm going to be talking about how that dissertation relates to spider-man across the spider-verse and the flash when i get around to watching the flash and this is a message for everybody who hasn't seen it and hopefully it will still be out in cinemas by the time this is out but danny please go and see across the spider-verse in the cinema I will see what I can do. Uh, so, Into the Spider-Verse. You, you liked that, didn't you? I did. I yeah. did. Now, okay. uh, I really hope you watch the second one in the cinema. Okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, and on that note, it is a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.